This morning we began a series on the prophets in that first testament. We called the series God's Hope. We think about what a prophet might say to us in a post-pandemic world. The scripture reading this morning comes from Amos chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, and the prophet is speaking for God. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's be clear. Amos could never work for Hallmark. There's nothing heartwarming about this message, not this passage or any of his others. Some months back, we surveyed elders and deacons in our congregation with ideas about things we might preach on this summer and into the fall, and no one picked Amos chapter 5. There was a place where you could look at a list of ideas and a place where you could write things in, but nobody went with Amos. Actually, I looked back, and I was surprised. There was one vote for a series on the prophets. And so I opened that window a little bit so I could move over and look at the different column, and it was my name. (laughs) I'm stuck with Amos. There's an old adage repeated in seminary classrooms all the time about prophets, that their task was to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Do you hear that? If Israel was going through a hard time, like when a foreign army had come in and conquered them, the prophet could speak words of consolation. But if Israel, on the other hand, was living high on the hog, a prophet might need to come and stir them up and to kind of put them in their place. You want to guess as to which one Amos was good at? This is very representative of the entire book. It's how it reads. I kind of get the idea that when Amos went home with his report card every semester, there was a little note from the teacher, needs to work on his attitude. It wasn't his grades, he just was always stirring up trouble. There's a good reason why the prophets, for the most part, do that. And that's because the office of prophets arose roughly at the same time as the monarchy. So let me explain. Maybe you recall that Israel had always wanted a king to rule over them, but God said, no, 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 not interested in in you having a king. We'll be in relationship. You don't need a king. But Israel, they just pressed on, and eventually they got what they wanted, a series of kings. And while there were a few good ones, there were a lot of bad ones, power-hungry and corrupt. So prophets would come along to afflict the comfortable. We don't live in a monarchy, and yet power structures are very present in our world where the poor get left behind. And besides, in this case, Amos doesn't seem to be picking on royalty so much as religion. Or is he? Scholars have debated this passage and others in the prophets, and and there's kind of these two schools of thought. One is, 
God never really wanted to be worshipped any more than God wanted Israel to have kings and, and that God wanted to be in relationship there in the garden, walking with them not to be worshipped. That's one view. The other view is that what Amos is saying is it's not so much God hates worship or didn't want worship, it's that God doesn't like worship when injustice is still being practiced. It's clear, though, either way, Amos's main concern in this passage and throughout his little book is about justice, in particular, the economy. I've been watching the news lately with Amos, trying to imagine him and how would he respond to the different stories. I picture Amos subscribing to the Wall Street Journal and making his way through the finance pages. I picture him watching Bloomberg on cable. He's not so much into the stock market as he is the unemployment and the minimum wage debate. He cares very much about these things. When, when the sports comes on, he tunes it out. He, he doesn't care. I mean, yeah, sure, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA, they're in full swing, but it's not really his thing. Unless you get him started. Don't get him started, but if you get him started on this, like how crazy the salary is for a left-handed pitcher who has a wicked slider. Boy, you get Amos started on that, and he'll compare it to what we pay teachers and social workers. It's hard for us to relate, but in the ancient world, the economy was built entirely on agriculture. Other sectors didn't really exist. It was all about agriculture, and that's what's going on here. The people have come at a time of harvest, and there is this festival to celebrate it, and they pray to God, gratitude for the crops that have grown the way other nations prayed to their gods, that these gods had brought forth their fruit. But God's not interested in that. And for Amos, this notion of justice rolling down like waters is an agricultural theme because, get this, at this point, the poor who worked the land had a tax rate of about 66%. It was the poor who bore the burden of the tax rate. The elites would dine on the grain that was harvested, and the workers, they eked out a living. So I've been watching the news with Amos, and it's really interesting. He told me the other day, you, you won't believe this, he told me the other day that the United States and the United Kingdom spend more each year on cosmetics and ice cream than on schooling and sanitation. You should hear him go on about that. There, there was this story, though, about homes and real estate, and I said, well, you know, there's a sign of the economy coming back. Have you seen how these people selling houses? It just, there's bids come in, and they get more than they're asking. Amos was not impressed. He said, you know how people of color lag behind in home ownership? And then he said, you know, if you give whites a 400-year head start, it works out really well, doesn't it? Amos. I was kind of starting to get his point, kind of come around to him, and then he picked on golf, my beloved game of golf. He said, you know, every week 
There's a PGA tournament, and they bring in the CEO of the sponsoring company. It's an investment firm. It's a bank. And they do that little plug, how it's all about charity. You know, we're, we're just giving back. It's all about charity. But as Amos pointed out, now, if you give this much to charity while taking in this much, is it really about charity? I'm wondering why I voted for a series on the prophets and why Amos. But after the news comes the weather. That's what Amos says. After the news comes the weather. And that's where his line comes in. It's that famous line, let justice roll down like waters. It's the weather report. The people are there at the festival because the rains have come and the crops have grown. And for Amos, it's both a reminder of the crops growing, but it's also a cry for justice in a barren land. It's really hard. I've I've struggled with this because that month of May was so wet and it seemed like it would never stop. But imagine the arid land of Israel where then and now they have to capture water in cisterns because they go months without any rainfall. That's the context in which he pleads for waters of justice to roll down. Think for a moment about the most thirsty you have ever been. I hesitate to tell you this because some of you are hoping to go to Israel with us next time we go. And I have to tell you, this is a rarity. But last time, two years ago, just now, there was a day, one day at the Dead Sea, where the temperature reached 123 degrees. It was unbearable. At the pool that evening at the hotel, I went for a swim. And I'm not making this up. I got out of the water afterwards and jogging quickly the five feet over to my towel and my flip-flops. In those five feet, I was completely dry and my suit too. Can you imagine on a day like that how much water we drank and how parched we felt? What is the thirstiest you've ever been? That's how thirsty God is for justice. Let waters roll down. Let justice roll down. Let it, let it water the earth. Let it water the crops. But let it water the poor. Let it water the economy. The last couple of weeks, I made my way through a huge book. Amos had recommended it. I didn't know he would know this book. It's by scholar Peter Brown, and it's a fascinating look at the history of how this this thing we now call Christianity came to be so wealthy. I mean, there was this Jewish peasant rabbi, carpenter, stonemason, and some fishermen, and before you know it, they have these great cathedrals. How, How did that happen? And it's complicated, as you might guess, but the thing that really struck me was the contrast between two of the church fathers, one of whom you've been influenced by, even if you've never heard his name or read a single word, St. Augustine. He, He was the one who said, if you wonder where this came from, that when Adam and Eve sinned, we were all in that moment, and everybody born after that moment, we were born sinners. But his predecessor, St. Ambrose, had an entirely different view. Unfortunately, it didn't win the way forward. But Ambrose said that 
when the couple sinned and, and went out of the garden into the world, they brought with them goodness to flood the world. And they, they shared with the poor among them because we were all connected, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. <laughs> what a different way of viewing, giving, and caring for the poor. See, I think Amos would love that. Several years ago, I read a book called Einstein's Dreams. I told Amos about it. He flipped through it. It's an interesting book. I, I told you about it. It's a piece of fiction, but it's based on the true life story of Einstein, who, as a young man, was trying to figure out the theory of relativity. How does time work? And there's some fascinating dreams, some 30 dreams that Einstein has, and they're just different ways time could work. For, for instance, there's this one where time flows backwards. Uh, a mushy peach is picked out of the garbage. It's put on the kitchen counter, and, and it becomes hard, and eventually it's put back on a tree. Or there's another one where time stands still. Lovers saying goodbye at the train station, they're just locked in their embrace. Raindrops, they just hang in the air, not watering the land. But the one that got my attention this time, and Amos's, is dated April 14th, 1905. There's an ant on the rim of a chandelier who is crawling around and will forever. Politicians make the same speech day after day and nothing changes. This is that kind of cyclical worldview. Scholars note that one of the great contributions of the Jews to civilization as we know it is a counter-narrative to that idea. Other nations thought that away, philosophers, some of them, but the Jews said, no, 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 it, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be repeated over and over and over. Things can change. But see, Amos, among the prophets, if you read his book, he's pretty much with the ant on the chandelier. This, this is the way it is. This is the way it's been. And the only thing that's going to stop it is at the end, God's going to bring judgment. I like to think Amos was wrong. That things can change. What about you?